0: Welcome to the MIT Horizon podcast, the podcast featuring the latest developments on emerging technologies from MIT and beyond. Every week, the MIT Horizon podcast talks to leading researchers and industry innovators from across the emerging technology fields we cover on the platform. I am Michael Burke, the executive editor at Horizon, and I'll be your host for today's show. And I'm here with George Westerman, expert on digital transformation and author of the book Leading Digital. And George, happy to have you with us here today. And I'd like to just jump in and ask you to talk a little bit about what leading digital means.
1: Thanks for having me here, Michael. It's great to talk to you.
0: Your focus in your work is digital transformation. You've written this more received book called Leading Digital. Can we talk about What that means.
1: One of the things that's happening in the industry when we talk about digital transformation is we often focus too much on the technology, the digital part, but not the transformation part. And that's what we found over and over again in our research that if you just focus on the technology, it's only half the problem, and you're only going to get half the outcome. So we started back in 2010 looking at this, before digital transformation was even a phrase that people were talking about. We interviewed CEOs, heads of large business units, and asked them, what are you doing with social and mobile and analytics and these things, IoT at the time? And we saw a lot of companies doing a lot of things, but very few doing well. Uh, The ones that were doing well did two things. Yes, they were putting these technologies into their processes and into their ways of doing business. But even more important, they were setting up the capability to transform the organization over and over again. And when we saw that distinction, we realized this was a really important management thing. You got to get good at two things if you're going to do digital. You got to get good at the digital and the transformation.
0: So the way you look at that digital transformation is really a human factors question. We're talking more about what people are doing and thinking rather than about what technologies they might be applied. It's
1: as much a leadership problem as it is a technology problem. And leadership actually is much tougher in most organizations than the technology
0: is. Is there, and this is something I've seen people confused by in the past, where would you draw the line between digital transformation and workplace transformation if technology is not the main factor?
1: I would say they're, in, they're all in one big bucket. So when we think about the digital side of digital transformation We think about using these technologies, whether it's AI or chatbots or robots or anything else, mobile and social, we think about applying them towards originally one of three places, the customer experience, operations, and business models. And all of those counted as digital transformation. Over the last four years or so, we've seen that operations needs to split out into your processes and also your employee experience. So what I'm saying is that employee transformation is one part of digital transformation, and it's an important part and becoming more important over time.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. So my question when we turn to what our readers and listeners are interested in, which is largely the emerging technology space, are there general-purpose technologies that have significant enough impact that they're really right now changing organizational thinking in a real
1: way. This idea of a general purpose technology is a technology that doesn't just solve a minor problem, but actually can start to change the whole economy. So think about steam engines. Think about electricity. And certainly computing was one of them. And more and more, we're seeing things like analytics and AI is changing things too. And what you need to think about with these general purpose technologies is not what's the return on that technology, but what does that technology enable beyond just the one implementation you put in? as we rethink everything that we're doing. And so this is this once we get back, once again, we get back. If computing in general and AI is a general purpose technology, then what we want to think about is not the technology side, but the organizational side. How will the processes change? How will our customer interactions change? These kinds of things. And in fact, when I've seen technology people have trouble getting the organization to buy into a technology, it's often because they haven't taken the perspective of the manager or the worker to understand how their lives will be different and why it will be better for them in that situation. Uh, So taking that perspective is a whole different way of thinking about these technologies. And it's something we need to do more and more of. So in companies, for example, for, for years now, we've been talking about taking the customer journey and understanding where the customers are, not to replicate their experience, but to give them a better experience from knowing what they do. More and more, that's becoming also the employee journey. What's it like to work in this company, and how can we make their lives better through technology? That's taking that user-centered, that customer-centered, that employee-centered view, and it's just a different way of thinking of technology that we need to do more and more of.
0: So is there an equivalent, you know, I think of customer journey, and I think of constructing persona. Is there an equivalent in the way of thinking that you're talking about?
1: It's exactly the same thing. Uh, But one of the main customers of technology is the employee. And over the last few years, we've been learning more and more about what it means to, to give a good or a bad customer experience a good good or bad employee experience uh, also what what that means for the culture you know how how can these collaboration tools how can better information how can they help you to change the nature of decision making change the nature of collaboration and, and change the nature of innovation in companies
0: you no know, that makes sense. Could you maybe talk about and this might be an example this might be in general terms how do you go about creating this mindset about getting leaders to think in this way, about getting people who are trying to talk to leaders about technology to get them to think in that way.
1: After interviewing all these leaders and and understanding who the best companies were, we call them digital masters, and they were better at both digital capability, but also leadership capability, better at putting the technology in, but also at enabling the organization to transform over and over again. Uh, So it forms a two-by-two. I I teach in a management school, so of course I have two-by-twos. And what we find really interestingly when we run the financial numbers is that those two dimensions, digital and leadership, are associated with two different kinds of performance in companies. That the more digital you are, the better you are at driving revenue through your capacity. The better you are at driving revenue per employee, the better you are at driving fixed asset turnover, which is revenue per piece of property and uh, plant and equipment. That's interesting. Interesting doesn't say anything about profits. The better you are at leadership, the better you are at driving a stronger profit margin. But it doesn't say anything about revenue. And what's interesting is you put those together, these digital masters are 9% better at driving revenue through their capacity and 26% better at mar- margin than their competitors in the same industry. But the other side- That's very significant. It's very significant. If your industry is running at a 10% profit margin, the masters, these billion-dollar companies are running at 12 and a half. At uh, 4% margin, they're running at five. That's big money. Uh, on the other hand, if you're just focusing on the digital, you feel innovative. Your customers are buying more, but you tend to do it at a lower profit margin. Um, and the other side, we also see utility companies, insurance companies. We are not investing in this digital. And as a result, their profits are okay. They're not losing money. They may be even more profitable than their peers, but their revenues aren't as high they're not innovating as fast. And so that profit probably won't stick around as long as it should. So long explanation, but the point is these two dimensions matter and they are different kinds of performance we're talking about. And when you get them right, you get this magic. When you get them wrong, you get half of the answer that may give you the wrong answer after all.
0: Can you dig into an explanation of that effect?
1: Absolutely. So so what's happening here is that often when we invest in digital We invest in every digital opportunity we can. We experiment like crazy. And the idea is to look all beautiful and digital on the outside, but not necessarily go beyond there. In fact, the top left of our quadrant, the ones that are doing a lot of digital, but not a lot of the leadership capability, we call them fashionistas for just that reason. They're all beautiful and digital on the outside. There's just nothing going on up in their heads. And as a result, they're driving innovation. They're chasing customer uh, revenue. They're doing it at a lower profit margin, and they're often doing solving the same problem three and four times in their company, but not connecting them, creating more and more spaghetti over time. That's the implication of doing digital without the leadership. The leadership, on the other hand, is about driving transformation and building on what we've done before. And in that case, if we focus too much on that, it can become all business cases and all risk aversion, in which case you're not going to innovate at all. And I think that's what's happening in those two quadrants, why we're getting the results we are put them together, you have a different kind of thing. You've got an innovation engine that innovates smartly and reuses and builds upon what it's already done before.
0: That's magic. Can we talk about some concrete examples, maybe some firms that are getting this balance right? I don't want to disparage anybody by looking too much at the negatives, but who, what, or what kind of firms and what sectors are successful at negotiating this?
1: Sure. Uh, So for an example, uh, in Asia, DBS Bank in Singapore, um, they've been getting a, lot, getting a lot of press lately. We've been studying them for a long time. They, The joke was that DBS stood for damn bloody slow. And you, as a bank, that's not the reputation you want to have. They had the worst reputation of the top five banks in Singapore. And then they decided to do something about this. And so what they did is they created a vision of how we're going to be different. And the vision was very simple. Let's make banking joyful. Now, I don't know what it means to make banking joyful, and I'm not sure as a banking customer I care whether it's joyful, but I certainly don't want the bank to be unjoyful, and they were doing that all the time. Then they asked their employees, okay, what do we do that makes banking unjoyful, and let's fix it. And they identified a goal. Let's save a million hours of customer waiting time this year, because we know customer waiting time makes you unjoyful. And they asked employees for what to do. So what did they do? They found ways to fix the queues in in the bank lobbies, make that easier. They introduced self-service that worked better. They fixed some issues they had that were leading to re- report problems that made you call the bank. They made it easier to open an account or transfer an account. All of these things reduced the amount of time you had to spend doing what you needed to do in banking, saved customer wait time. They had now up with their customer ex- with their employee ideas with things that the IT group wanted to do. And with generally moving forward, they're now saving over 250 million hours per year of customer waiting time. Banking is much more joyful there. But if we can go on from there, those things, those changes, although they're customer changes, they're really, many of them, operational changes. If we can avoid an error that makes a customer call in, not only is the customer happier, but we're more efficient. If we can take out steps of the setup time to create an account, we're more efficient and we make fewer mistakes. What's interesting there is they said, you know, now that we're this efficient – in Singapore, it's an expensive place, but we're so efficient that they can then move over to India, a very low-cost, low-margin country, and make a profit with a digital bank in India because they're just so darn good at this point.
0: And are they applying the same kinds of techniques there that they pioneered in Singapore?
1: What they did, very, very simply, they said, where do we have any person in the loop anymore? And there are two places. One is opening the account and two is answering questions. And they said, we'll offer a limited set of products in a digital way. Opening bank accounts requires identity, but there's a digital identity in India. And if you got a question, we'll give you chatbots for that. And with that, now they can make money on you. If you give them $10, they can make money on you as a customer. In the U.S., $10 is less than what most people pay for a monthly fee for their account. These customer focus led to operational changes. Those operational changes improved the customer focus, customer experience, but also led to a brand new business model because they were so efficient. These things kept coming together, but they kept coming in over and over again with leadership saying, let's make this happen. Let's engage the employees in making it happen. And let's make sure when we do it, we do it right so then we can reuse it for other things.
0: Interesting. Could we talk maybe about some examples from heavy industry, manufacturing?
1: Sure. Uh, one of the favorite companies I've gotten to know because it was of just a fascinating plant tour is I got to walk on an aircraft carrier under construction last year. Very, very fun. Uh, also very, very big. I had no idea until you're on top of a boat or actually if you're actually inside the boat, you have no idea how big those things are. And so imagine being a union welder on that project. How significant do you feel if this takes five or 10 years to build and you're doing your eight hours a day and getting out? Um, they had some difficulties. Uh, the Another difficulty they had is that employees would do work. Say I'm an electrician or a plumber. I do work. I get to the end of my shift and somebody else would pick up. And if it took four shifts of work to run wires from one end of the boat to the other, if I didn't mess up, somebody was going to mess up along the line. So why would I bother to do a good job? And so what they started doing is putting some things in to help that experience and so they put in some virtual reality. And for example, now, if I need to run a wire, I don't just see the blueprint and have to turn the blueprint to the right angle and figure out which one's the red, the red wire and the blue wire. I've got a tablet that tells me what this thing should look like. And I run them that way. And when I get to the end of my shift, I say, here's where I left off. Boom, boom, boom. And the next person comes in, doesn't even need to talk to me. They just pick up where I left off. Um, What's fascinating about that is, first of all, wiring's happening faster with fewer errors. Number two, um, as you get to the end of the shift, end to end, it's happening with fewer errors. But number three, employees are more engaged in their job because they know that if they do a good job, it'll stay there. And they feel more of part of a team because they figure it's the, everybody's doing good work now. People are coming to work more often. So what happened as a simple virtual reality problem wasn't really virtual reality at all. It was a complete change to the manufacturing process and a complete change to the employee experience that led to outcomes way beyond, did the wire get run to the right place?
0: Was VR introduced for this purpose or was it another decision driving it? Oh, okay.
1: It, now, they couldn't do the VR until they decided to start designing these large ships digitally because then they had the digital material to feed the VR. So the first decision was going to digital designing, which I'm surprised they hadn't been doing with these things 20
0: years that, ago. That is interesting because it's um, become the norm in architecture yeah. and other large-scale manufacturing fields. Exactly. And uh, what, they, what
1: they've told me uh, is that you know these models are really big. And so it takes a little while to integrate the packages, to get the data, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so they had to start with a foundation of the digital design. Then they said, what else can we do? And I see this happen over and over again. The great leaders, they don't say, let's put that technology problem in. They say, what problem are we solving? What is this technology useful? But then once it's done, they say, congratulations, to everybody. That's wonderful. What else are we going to do now? And that constant push, what else, what else, is just a constant theme for the great digital masters that I've studied.
0: It's interesting because. A technology is introduced, digital design, and it ends up driving an ecosystem of other problem-solving approaches that are all based on one decision. And so what else can
1: they do? They now have, for example, if you are going to lift a box, that box is either red or green. And if it's green, you can lift it. And if it's red, you have to get a friend. Or if you're going to weld a bracket to a wall or drill a hole in the wall, you can hold a tablet up to the wall and it'll tell you what's on the other side. Hmm. So you're not going to drill a hole through a pipe or through an electrical box. And so what they're doing is they're making it easier to do a good job. And as a result, people are doing a good job. And as a result, they're all taking more pride in the whole experience and the whole team.
0: Everyone sees the big picture.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's where I fit into the big scheme. Interesting. And knowing the team will come together and we're all going to do a better job. So I want to do a better job.
0: Yeah, that's a very, that's a great example. Mm -hmm.
1: So another fun example with VR, as long as we're talking about VR, is um, construction companies. I first heard it in a company called CDM Smith, and I'm seeing it more and more, um, is that if you're going to build a hydroelectric dam, that's hard to visualize. It's another project like a carrier. It's like building a small town. Exactly. and um, But you can imagine this turning up with apartment buildings and other things this is happening. And you also have specialists. And so while each city might have a lot of people who know how to design and do construction— the specialist on solar heating and what that does to large cement objects, there might be two in the world. And so what happens is these experts end up spending their lives on airplanes, going around talking to design teams or trying to work on the phone in diff- difficult ways. Um, they were doing digital design. They were using these glasses to um, be able to visualize in 3D what their designs are. And one of these specialists just said, you know, this is silly. Why am I getting on a plane? I lose two days for a one-hour meeting. Let's just put both put the glasses on and go inside the design. And they had to do a little techn- a lot of technology messing around to make that happen. Yeah. But now people can walk around together inside a design and somebody can point out and say, that's a problem. That's going to believe the trouble's here, which is really interesting. Uh, it's better use of the experts. It's also a better collaborative experience because they can be inside the design together. And I take it one more step. Um, Our design cycle, this company's design cycle with large city planners tended to be about two months. I give you the blueprints, you examine them, a month later you give the answers, and then a month later I give the the next response. Now what they can do is they can sit down with their customers, everybody put the glasses on. The customer says, hey, can you move that thing? And the models take a few minutes to upgrade. And a few minutes later, instead of two months, it's just a few minutes. You see what happened.
0: Yeah, you get actionable instructions out of a single meeting. You get actual
1: instructions, you get a completely different way of collaborate, and this one technology change has now led to a new way of doing operations and a completely new customer
0: experience. And again, you know, this sort of large-scale 3D modeling introduced originally for different reasons, you know, in, in architecture, certainly. But this has led to this, this series of, you know, this is like kind of, I guess, kind of like a systems way of thinking about it.
1: Absolutely. The, what I would think about is often we think about a technology as being a technology problem. And more and more, we want to think about technologies in combination. In fact, if, if you know Moore's Law, uh, so for example, Moore's Law says technologies tend to double in performance for the same amount of money every 18 to 24 months, depending on the technology. And that's important, but that's the individual technologies. More and more, we are seeing a combinatorial kind of innovation. It's not just AI getting better. It's not just mobile getting better. It's not just cloud getting better. It's putting those all together to get Instagram. That's where the things come up. And so as technologists, we need to think much more, once again, about the customer or the employee or the business model. Because the right technology may not be your technology. But you'll work on, they'll help people build on you or you'll work with those people to get this job done.
0: And, and by and large, people think things people think about as technologies these days are really combinations anyway, something like robotics, something like artificial intelligence. These are really constellations of different, you know, approaches and technologies anyway.
1: They absolutely are. And I, and I think one of the big failures we have in companies is we say that, you know, I have a hammer, let's find a nail. And that's just the wrong way to go about it. Uh, You do need to hire specialists in these technologies But then you don't want to say, hey, specialists solve a problem. What you want to say is, what problems might we solve and who else needs to be involved? Or, hey, here's a problem. Who has an answer? It's a very different way of thinking about it.
0: And that's that leadership dimension, going back to your original
1: point. Yeah. So leadership, how do we define leadership? We think about it in terms of three things. First is a vision. How will we be a very different company than we were before? Because if we're not thinking about being a very different company, we're going to be too incremental, and other people will run right past us, number one. Number two, once that vision's there, how can the employees help us with ideas? Because the managers don't know everything. The employees often know most. But we've got to make an environment where the employees can suggest, and together we get these things done. We also need to help the employees understand the visions so they want to move forward, making banking joyful, uh, these kinds of things. Three is governance. How do we do this in a way that we build on what we know rather than reinvent the wheel every time Mm. or create a new silo every time?
0: Feedback, really.
1: Uh, uh, It's it's, um, feedback and steering. Governance is less about bureaucracy, less about filling out forms and doing reviews, and more about saying, have we done this before? How do we build on that? Or how do we make – if we're going to do the same thing for two different units, how do we help them do it in a similar way so we don't need to manage two different pieces? So the interesting thing about this is if if you think about it, vision sets the direction. Engagement with your employees is kind of the motor pushing you forward. And governance is your steering wheel. And what you want to do all the time is set a direction, help them move forward there in a smart way. And then once you get close to that direction, you say, where else are we going to go? What else are we going to make happen? And so that that leadership, vision, engagement, and governance is what really powers digital transformation.
0: And then it's communication that makes us all work because you're talking about-
1: Well, you're communicating about every single one of those.
0: Yeah. And the mode of communication can be technological, I would imagine.
1: Well, one of the things that's really nice these days is that you can have- well, when I was younger, the, the bosses used to come around and do their town hall meetings. And depending on the size of the company, that might be every month or once a year, right? Depending when they could travel. And occasionally we would have a video or an email come out from the bosses saying, hey guys, here's what we're doing. Uh, more and more companies, what we're seeing is these town halls are happening on a regular basis with the whole company there. Because with video, with audio, we can now do this at scale. And the other thing we're seeing is that these innovation contests are becoming more and more doable and they're leading to amazing ideas. Uh, one company I know, you can submit an idea f- to change anything in the company. If your idea is selected, not only is your idea selected, but you get to be 90 days on the team to make that idea
0: happen. That's a great idea.
1: And if it turns into a real business, yeah. So it, we can do collaboration at scale in ways we never could before, and some companies are really
0: taking advantage of that uh, in ways that that others aren't. And that, that's, again, going back to something we spoke about earlier, that sounds like a great way to maximize you know, the balance in your matrix. That's right. So if, if we focus too much on the technology, we
1: may innovate a lot, um, but we may end up having creating a lot of silos and a lot of spaghetti. We may end up innovating without profits. We may end up innovating without the employees. If we focus on the leadership Every time we have a technology and use a technology, it's in the interest of moving us in a certain direction. And that way, we're just going to get more out of those technologies. The experiments may start or fail. It doesn't matter. But we have that common direction. We're going to just get more out of the innovation that we're doing. And we're going to have the opportunity to build
0: more and more. Makes perfect sense. Why isn't everyone doing this? What do they need to know? How can we generalize this approach?
1: Well, so you know Moore's law. We know Moore's law. I, I just want to—I'll to I'll give you George's law. And George's law is that technology moves quickly, and organizations change much more slowly. And while we know that, I think we sometimes forget it. Especially, many technology vendors are saying they're in the digital transformation business, but they're in the digital part, not necessarily the transformation part. And many technology people. Either don't think about it, or don't have the feel they don't have the authority to make the organizational changes happen, and so they focus on what they're doing. So that's where I come back again: that if you're a technology person, think really hard about how can we do the customer experience or the employee experience, and then apply solve those problems or create innovations for them. Don't think about it as a technology question; it's a change question that you can help. And then the other side, if you're not a technology person, when you're working with technology people, don't just tell them what problems you've got or what what you don't like about that, that technology. Walk through with them a day in the life or some opportunities you think about, and maybe they've got some answers to it. And if they say, by the way, the way you want to do it won't work, but I got a way that'll work better, be okay with that. Because there probably is a way that'll work better if you're okay to be a little flexible on that.
0: So if I'm a leader of a firm, and I'm looking to make these kinds of changes. Where do I turn?
1: As a leader of a firm, you have to be thinking about digital transformation. This is not something you can just give to somebody and forget about it. These visions, the vision needs to be created from the top and run through. Now, the top can be the middle. If you are the top of that middle, right? So you define where the top is. Um, but if you just give it to your technology people. Some of the technology people will be brilliant at this. A lot will not have the authority or the contacts or the ability to make the organizational changes that happen. So as a leader, you got to have a part of this. you got to help to build this vision. And you got to also be there to clear the roadblocks when somebody doesn't want to get with the program to help make this happen, to support your technology people as they do these things. Another thing you need to do as a leader is we heard over and over again that digital is going too fast for our IT department. And you need to change that. We have not seen companies drive large-scale digital transformation in their companies without the IT people involved. Now, the IT people may or may not be able to lead it, but they got to be part of the conversation because so much of your process, so much of your data is embedded in systems. If you want to start a brand new business, that's fine, and that might work. But if you're going to transform your existing businesses, IT people have to be in a room. And that sometimes means the IT people have to change the way they operate, but don't leave them out. Yeah, there's no way to get from the legacy systems to the systems that you need unless they're involved. Exactly. And so, um, you know, some IT people will say, you have to let me lead this. You can decide whether that person's able to do it. Some business people will say, there's no way I can work with those IT people. Well, then it's the time to help the IT people get more easy to work with. But the answer is not the simple one of leaving them out of the story. It's just, we haven't seen it work for long. It makes sense. So over the last 10 years since I've been studying digital transformation, every few years I get somebody to calls up and says, I think, you know, we're doing digital signage. I think we're now the digital signage transformation revolution, or we're in the AI revolution, the cognitive revolution. We are in the, the IOT revolution. These concepts of, of digital transformation, getting the digital side right for your operations, your people, your customers and your business models, and the leadership, the vision, governance, and engagement. These concepts apply no matter what the technology is. And so as the new technologies come along, you don't want to think that we're in a different world. You want to think how to apply these ideas to just get even better at what you have, because there's just one more technology in your toolkit.
0: You know, that's interesting because it kind of flips the idea that is common in popular coverage of technology that all companies now are setting out to change the world in one way or another. And so, whatever methodology they're using, they see that as world changing. Well, I see. I see that's still very true, right? So, our, our research on culture. One of the c- critical things
1: that separates the great digital companies from the great traditional companies is often this sense of mission. This idea that we are not just making money; we're solving major problems for the world or for the customers. So, that one, I would, I, th- I would think that that's really helpful. Um, I think the technology focus, though. You know, we are in an AI s- decade. Well, that's one way to think about it, but there's an awful lot that you can do with AI and that's the decade we're in. We're in a more connected decade. We're in a more personalized decade. We're in a more agile and fast decade. AI is a piece yeah. of that.
0: I mean, they're, they're applying technologies to a problem. Even the ones who are identified with like a technology platform, you know, your Ubers and your Airbnbs, right. for instance, that's really not what's making the change. It's making it's making the access to something that's really by nature, not technological,
1: that's right. It's the business model that's solving it, not the technology that's solving it. And technology just made these business models possible. Exactly. So yeah, if you want to go that way, you know, it uh, each new technology, these these principles apply with each new technology. And it's easy to think about these new technologies as changing the world, they'll continue to change the world and the same principles apply. You know, we live in our silos. We 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 sell the technology, we manage the technology, we manage sales. You know, it's 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 easier to think in our silos because we know it best and we control it. And the opportunities that are really out there in companies are not only to change within what you're doing, what we what the academics call exploitation, but also to be exploring new ways of doing things and ways of doing things across. And the real power in companies is when you can cross silos and do something great. Because other companies won't be thinking to do that, where if they are, they're behind you in the
0: process. Thanks very much. Sure. Thanks for Thank having me here. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the MIT Horizon Podcast. If you'd like to refer to the notes and transcript of today's episode, or even download the conversation to listen to later, head over to the MIT Horizon platform at horizonapp.mit.edu. That's it for today's show. We'll see you next week.